some of these episodes are going to make it painfully obvious that I don't have friends or sponsors in the firearms industry. I'm not going to be doing product reviews or pitches in the foreseeable future. I just don't think that's the direction I want this podcast to take. And I'll probably spend more time telling you not to buy things than otherwise. And this time, I'm going to make the case that you can probably get by very comfortably with just one rifle, and there's a strong case for keeping things that way. Believe it or not, I don't consider myself much of a gun guy. I don't go to gun shops or gun shows regularly, and I don't really care what's new. I don't own a lot of guns either. In fact, I only own one rifle. And things are going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. I'm not personally interested in collecting rifles, though I can't say the same for my wife. And this rifle does everything I need it to do. So let's explore that a bit. When choosing and customizing a firearm, whether a rifle or not, it's important to keep those decisions in the context of the firearm's intended use. You know, is this a home defense gun that we're setting up? A patrol gun for work or the ranch? A a competition race gun? A precision bench shooter? Are you going to hunt with it? And uh, are you only going to shoot during the day, or will this need to accommodate a night vision setup? The role, to a certain extent, does dictate how a firearm should be set up. And if you aren't serving yourself well with an all-in-one, then you may need to specialize by setting up different rifles for different roles. But with that said, uh, you know, time and money are both finite resources. Back to life. We're all going to run out of one before the other, and both eventually. So when it comes to practical use of finite resources, specialization should wait until after you're hitting walls with your current setup. So. If your current rifle is robust and reliable and maneuverable enough for everything that you do with it, then you probably don't need another rifle. And whether you want another one, that's a separate story. We're talking about need. And so when it comes to need and when it comes to determining whether or not you need more gear, we have to look at specialization of gear versus specialization of shooter. And what I mean by that is all other things being equal is the shooter that splits their time between different rifle platforms or even different optic setups going to be more effective a shooter than one that puts the same amount of time into just one set of gear? I'm going to bet on no. And I'm going to try not to quote Bruce Lee too often, uh, but one line famously attributed to him is, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. If you have one rifle, and you're using it a lot, you're training hard with it, you know that rifle very well. You know it like the back of your hand. And if we hand you another rifle, you'll be able to use it to some extent. You'll be sufficiently proficient in it, most likely, hopefully. But we can't hand you another rifle that you're going to be faster or more accurate with. Probably not. At least not right away. With all that said, if you are training aggressively in multiple disciplines, you know, multiple kicks, and your training has made clear that specialization of equipment for each discipline will benefit your performance. Do it. For me, in my you know, particular case, it's always going to be different for everyone, but for me, years on the range and thousands of rounds has not shown me a wall that my equipment is keeping me from getting over. So far, it's just been me holding me back. And I'm working on that, but it's going to be a while before my rifle is not accurate enough for me or isn't. Uh, allowing me to move fast enough or whatever. And, you know, 
If tricking out rifle after rifle is going to drive you to spend more time shooting your rifles, uh, do it. Because range time will benefit you way more than adhering to my random dogma. So with all that out of the way, uh, let's talk about the one rifle that I use for everything. Be that home defense, range time, competition, hunting. I actually haven't hunted with it, but uh, when I when I do get started, probably this year, probably hogs, because they're, they're prevalent in my state, uh, this will be my hunting rifle. Um, this could be an episode all on its own, but I don't want to get into the habit of blabbing about my own gear. But, you know, I'll get it out of the way and talk about the one rifle setup that can do everything I need it to do. And again, this is going to be different for everyone because what they prefer is going to be different, but also what they're doing with the rifle is going to be a bit different. My one rifle is an AR-15, go figure, by Bravo Company Manufacturing called a Recce 14. It basically started its life as a mil-spec, mid-length carbine with a 14.5-inch barrel and a pinned and welded compensator. So let's start with the barrel length. When I, when I first got this rifle, I viewed 14.5 inches or 16 inches as kind of the sweet spot for storage, carry, and shooting. Uh, if I were to do it again today, I might go with a like a pistol build, kind of air quotes there, with an 11.5 inch or 12.5 inch barrel. We're bringing the overall length down a little bit. You know, we're improving on our maneuverability a little bit, but we're not losing much in terms of shootability. Again, air quotes. And I'm not 100% on if I would make that switch because shooting a mid-length gas system is mm, so smooth. There is a relationship between barrel length and shootability. And for just right shootability, if your barrel extends far beyond your reach, it's too long. If you're sacrificing an optimal grip to get a shorter barrel, it's too short. I mean, I'm not saying it's too long or too short for exactly what you're doing, but I would say that the barrels are respectively too long or too short for an optimally comfortable and ergonomic shooting experience. So moving on from the barrel, um, I'm not in love with the compensator that BCM pinned and welded onto the barrel to make it that legal rifle minimum length. Uh, it's basically a beefed up A2 birdcage device, so it's, you know, it's pretty middle of the road. It's so-so at flash reduction and so-so at recoil reduction. And again, if I were to do it all over, I might go with three-prong flash hider since I prioritize flash reduction and not blowing my ears out. You know, something like a Silencer Co. or Surefire or uh, dead air, one of those uh, type of long flash hiders. Moving back from there, I started with a 10-inch KMR handguard. That's what came with the rifle. And I eventually switched to a 13-inch MCMR handguard. Um, that's basically a 13-inch long, slim, fairly lightweight, M-lock free float rail. Key mod versus M-lock doesn't really matter, but they're both light and slim rails, and the extra few inches lets me stretch my arms out a bit. I'm somewhat tall with uh, somewhat long arms, so it was a welcome improvement. Whether or not you go with key mod or M-Lock or quad rail or uh, like a carbon fiber tube is going to be somewhat role specific, but it's also, it's mainly going to be your preference. You know, it's going to be the interface of the rail that you like the most or that you feel suits your needs the most. And it might just be which one looks the coolest to you. Because I'm not, not going to argue at all that having a rifle that you're proud of how it looks and how it feels pretty important. I have a light mounted on an offset uh, mount. I'm, I'm a right-handed shooter, so it's on the right-hand side, the starboard side of the handguard. 
And it's a Streamlight ProTac HLX. That's their metal-bodied 1000 lumen option, and they've got a bunch of others. Um, I've used Surefire and Arisaka lights before, and they've been fine. Uh, but at the time of this setup, the HLX was the brightest light I could get. So I got it, and it's been great. I've talked before about how important a white light is on any weapon that you might fight with. So with what I had talked about there, which was, you know, brightness and reach and durability, I got the best that I could at the time, which in this case was the HLX. I have an EOTech EXPS3-0 as my primary optic. It's occasionally paired with a G33 magnifier, and I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, the reason I'm using the EOTech is I found out recently that I am both cross-eye dominant, meaning I'm right-handed, but my brain focuses through my left eye. And I have mild astigmatism that doesn't really come up anywhere in life except for when I'm looking at a red dot's reticle. So from a practical standpoint, I prefer the concept of an aim point or trigicon style red dot, and I've used those before and liked them quite a lot. But for me, the dot on an aim point or trigicon never appears to be a crisp circle. It always has kind of a bloomy starburst effect, regardless of which brightness setting I'm on or what the lighting conditions are around me. So for my eyes, the EOTech holographic reticles are much crisper and cleaner. So I can be more accurate, or I guess I should say as accurate as I need to be with them. I don't prefer EOTech as a company, and I certainly don't prefer having an optic that I have to hit a button on to see the reticle rather than have it always be on. I don't prefer the weight or size of the optic. I'm just working with the hand I was dealt. Um, I would like to have a small, crisp, sharp reticle that I can make shots out to distance with. And it ended up that for my eyes, that optic is an EOTech, at least for the time being. And like I said, I do have an EOTech G33 magnifier. It's not on the rifle all the time. It is some extra weight and bulk that I prefer not to have all the time. Um, I keep the G33 in my bag, and because it's on a QD mount, I slap it on there when I'm shooting at distance, where I'm going for a bit of extra precision, and I take it off when I'm just doing run and gun or the rifle stowed away for its home defense purposes. My backup sight set is a Daniel Defense lightweight fixed front sight that's paired with a Magpul Embus Pro rear sight. Both the primary and secondary optics are 0 to 50 yards, just for reference there. And it's a lower one-third co-witness setup. So with the riser that's built into the EXPS3s, my fixed front sight rests in the lower one-third area of the glass window. And the rear sight is folded down when I'm not using it. When I pop that rear sight up and I align the sights, the dot and the iron sights co-witness together because they have the same zero. Now, you may not absolutely need a backup sighting system. I don't personally believe that Every rifle out there should have a secondary sighting system. You know, the kind of the military doctrine is that you have to have a way to get your rifle back into the fight all the time. But in truth, at least for us civilians, you know, we have other options. If it's a fight or die situation and we have a secondary, uh, then we switch to the secondary. Um, if it's a home defense situation and the optic fails and we have nothing else with us, the rifle's probably accurate enough with just the broken glass housing of the optic uh, because we're shooting indoors and there's a limited range there. And if we're at the range and the optic fails, uh, you know, just go home or get another gun to shoot with. No big deal. Yeah, so you might not absolutely need a backup sighting system, but backup irons are certainly nice to have if your build can easily accommodate them. 
mine could. I've got plenty of rail space, both in front of and behind my EOTech. So I have a backup sighting system. If I was more pinched for space, you know, if I had a, uh, a night vision setup where I had an infrared laser and illuminator uh, taking up that 12 o'clock position on my handguards rail, I might not have a, a front sight up there. And that's not the end of the world to me. I didn't upgrade much of anything on the lower. Most of my changes were made on the upper because the upper is really more the heart of the rifle. If you're going to spend any amount of money on an AR, it should be in the bolt, barrel, and the optic. With that said, um, I do have a Geisley Super Semi-Automatic Enhanced Trigger. It's literally the only thing in your lower that you really should spend any amount of money on. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether your lower receiver itself is a Colt or Noveski or BCM or a really budget lower. It doesn't matter. It's just a roll mark, and they're pretty much all the same forgings. Uh, the small parts that go into it, no, nah, it doesn't really matter. If it's mil-spec, if it's uh, properly made to spec, then it's going to be fine. Um, even though I've played around with different buttstocks, I haven't found that any of them really affects my performance in any way. You know, As long as it is there for the purposes of a cheek weld, it doesn't have to be a great one. And as long as it doesn't get in my way the rest of the time, it doesn't really matter. But I do believe in a good trigger. And the Geisley SSA-E, which is what they shortened that trigger name to, is a great trigger. Um, with that said, I had a LaRue MBT in previously, which is much cheaper. And the Geisley trigger is better, but not by that much. If I didn't get a really sweet deal on the Geisley, I probably would have just stuck with the LaRue because they're that close in overall feel, and the LaRue was noticeably cheaper. So that's pretty much it about my big accessories and upgrades that I've made to this rifle. I'm still choosing between things like grips and buttstocks. I currently have a BCM Gunfighter Grip Mod 3 uh, that came with the rifle, and a B5 SOP Mod Enhanced Stock, uh, though the storage compartments that are in both that grip and the buttstock are empty. Um, I just prefer the feel of the gr of the pistol grip. The stock gives me a sufficient cheek weld without pulling at my chin hairs, and it's fairly lightweight. Although it's not the lightest option out there, it's not even the lightest stock that I own. Um, it's just good enough in all departments. So whatever. This butt, butt stocks isn't really that important. It's again one of those things where you should like the butt stock that you have because you should take pride in what you own. In terms of grips on the handguard, I occasionally have a BCM vertical grip or a BCM CAG uh, forward on the rail, but I'm not really sure yet which grip setup is the keeper. And most of the time, there's nothing but a rail to grip up front, though I do have BCM's textured rail covers on the MCMR to help with general grippability, you know, have a little texture up there, and to avoid my grip surface uh, heating up too quickly because those light, slim rails definitely can get hot after some extended firing. The last thing in this whole, like, my rifle setup ramble is that I make a big stink about having a good two-point sling on any rifle you might ever fight with. I know I brought that up before, and I know it's going to come up again. In this case, I have a Ferro Concept Slingster with dual QD mounts. I like a QD sling, but if you don't have QD swivel sockets on your rifle, not the end of the world. Just get a two-point sling on there. Uh, make sure it's from a reputable source and, you know, test it, wear it around, see, make sure that you have it adjusted right to your body and that it's not going to fall apart the moment you put any weight on it because you don't really want to drop your rifle when you're using it. 
Um, the Ferro Concept Slingster is good. I've also used the Blue Force Gear Vickers Slings, a couple different Magpul Slings, and the Haley Strategic Sling that I don't currently remember the name of, and they've all been great. Uh, the Ferro Concept Slingster ended up being my favorite out of them, but not for any like huge reasons. I just like the adjustment and the overall feel of it. Not a big deal. What's most important is that you have a good two-point sling, not necessarily which one you have. So that's my rifle. Um, people definitely prioritize different things for different rifles. In this case, I kind of prioritized weight, but not really uh, balance and shootability from kind of uncertain or unconventional positions. Um, I'm not going for perfect accuracy, but if I can see something, I want to be able to hit it ASAP. That's kind of the MO of this rifle build. It's not a sub-MOA rifle, but I'm not a sub-MOA shooter, and nothing I do requires that fine degree of accuracy. At the time of recording this, my best group at a bench without a rest was right at like 2.0 inches at 100 yards, which isn't anything to write home about, but it's more than good enough for anything I'd ever feasibly use this rifle for. It doesn't fit into a backpack or anything really cool like that, but the overall length of the rifle is a pretty good kind of sweet spot for comfort at the bench without impeding me in the hallways of my home. I'm not telling you to sell all of your rifles and only have one, but maybe review what you have, review what you need, what you're shopping for, um, make sure that you're keeping your role in mind, make sure that you are prioritizing being at the range and being a shooter more than you are a gun collector. Unless you want to call yourself a gun collector, in which case, more power to you, and I'd love to come over and check out what you have, because I'm kind of starving myself in that regard. Um, that's all I've got for you this time. I'll be back next week, but before I leave you, I just want to thank you all so much for tuning in and showing us your support. It's been great. If you have a second, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, just wherever you found us. Um, that's how others are going to find us as well. If you'd rather bug me directly or share pictures of your gear, you can find me on Twitter at Range Talk Show. If not, stay safe. We'll talk again soon. <laughs>